tell my my fall that I made the conscious choice to live fully for my heart, give gratitude even in the moment when you're, I'm laying on the ground <laughs> and finding myself in the hospital bed being grateful. I can't see, I can't speak, but I was laying there just so grateful. Angel of light, come into me. Show me what I need to see. Welcome to the Small Victories Podcast. I'm your host, Pauline Victoria, an inspirational thought leader that offers transformational perspectives based on my unique experiences as a woman born without arms and legs. I feel like my life has been full of small victories that has led me to discover the greatness within. I believe that there is no summit upon which we reach our greatness. I believe it is a culmination of small victories achieved moment by moment when we turn toward the inward battle where we get to choose despair or hope, misery or miracles, defeat or victory. My goal is to awaken your potential, your purpose and your power so that you can discover the greatness that lives within you. Think of this podcast as your weekly portion of tools, stories, and teachings that help you reflect on the small victories in your life. Thanks for tuning in and let's begin. Thanks for joining another episode of the Small Victories podcast. Shifting our perspective is one of the most powerful shifts we can make because it can mean the difference between victim and victor. This is what Shelley Puller did. After a series of losses due to suicide, she found herself feeling like a victim until she experienced a great fall that directly impacted her. On this episode, we'll hear her story about how she fell from a loft as a victim and got up as a victor. Shelly, thanks for being with us today. Oh, I'm so happy to be here with you, Pauline. I am so excited for our audience to hear our hear your story because it is so powerful and I know prior to this interview we had a conversation I think you said a lot of times we don't even know that we're playing the victim and recognizing as I like to say from GI Joe knowing is half the battle. <laughs> so knowing when we're being a victim and when we don't know, we don't know how to get out of that cycle and experiencing a lot of those losses that you had to endure. That's a lot. That's hard. And so a lot of people wouldn't blame you for feeling like a victim. I'd like to start there for our audience to get to know you a little bit more. If you would like to maybe share with us what, what, your state of mind was after you had to endure a lot of the losses? Wow. So the first suicide in my life was my person, my soulmate person. She was my aunt and she wasn't just my aunt. She was my mother. She was nurturing and just so loving and giving. And I, and she just gave and gave and gave and gave. I remember just being a witness to it and feeling something in my brain actually pop. Like there was a I could hear it. And I knew in that moment that something in me just, there was no coming back from that. And um, I lost myself during the, the grieving process. They called it complicated grief. And I think probably everybody has complicated grief when they lose someone, but she didn't die in a car accident. 
she didn't die from cancer. She chose to take her life. And so that was extremely difficult. I also had some PTSD from that. It was a battle. I nearly lost my marriage. As my husband said, I just, I checked out. I looked at life so differently during that. It was years. Literally, it took me till my, my fall that I made the conscious choice to live fully from my heart, do everything from my heart, give gratitude, even in the moment when you're, I'm laying on the ground <laughs> and finding myself in the hospital bed, being grateful. I can't see, I can't speak, but I was laying there just so grateful. But during my journey through this grief, someone asked me, someone I didn't even really like, she asked me, so how long have you been playing the victim? I've never been so angry or repulsed by a question in my life. I didn't consider myself a victim. I wasn't interested in looking at that either, <laughs> you know, at that time. But that question would pop up in my life from me asking it. From then, you know, of course, I'm like, how dare you? Are you, you've got to be kidding me. You have any idea what I've been through? I mean, I'm lucky to be standing here upright speaking to you. That takes a lot of strength. It would come up in my life from me. Not nobody else would dare. But I started thinking about that. And I asked myself, do I feel like a victim? And my answer was yes. Things have hurt me horrendously. I have had my heart ripped out and my soul barely hanging on, begging God, why is, why me? Why me? And that's part of the victimhood thing. Yes, we've been through things. I have been through things, but there's a time to let it go. I want to unpack a little bit about not knowing you're playing the victim. Someone, if they start asking themselves that question, am I playing the victim right now? And that's what it is. It's a choice. We're playing the victim. It's like a role we take on, an identity we take on. And for you, what did that look like on the outside and on the inside? It looked like a pit of depression, lack of complete motivation, no goals in my life, or if I had them, forget it. I'm not playing. I don't want to participate. I don't trust that good things are going to happen. Or if good things happen, bad things are going to happen right after them. I lost my power. I had no power. I had zero power. I was like gum on a shoe. Literally, that's how I felt. Like I was just getting through. And that was on me. And I could never blame her for her actions. I blamed it on myself. I should have seen things. She, I loved her with everything in me. I should have seen it. And so at some point, I'm unpacking this victimhood thing. I realized I could be mad at her. I could be mad at her as much as I loved her. And as sick in my soul as I was, I could be mad at her. And then with being angry and mad, I could forgive her. Mm. Yeah. That was hard to swallow. So you experienced two more losses after that. And you probably had similar experiences of taking on the blame. You know, why didn't I see it? How could I have helped? And then that manifested into thoughts of, I don't care. I'm apathetic about life. I have no goals. What's the point? And then you found your biological father. Oh, man. So it was last January, not this last January, but of 2019. I'm just sitting there enjoying a Hallmark movie with my family. It's like the 4th of January and I get this call and I recognize the name. It was the county coroner. And he's like, hey, Shelly, I have your uncle 
here. And I'm like, why is he, why is he down there? Let's see what's up. <laughs> you know, he's like, well, he's, he's gone. He's deceased. I lost it. And I wasn't even as close to him as I was her, but it, I relived the whole thing. I hit my knees and I screamed. My husband and my son were there. And I'm like telling my husband, get our son out of the house right now because I'm gonna lose it. Cause I, and I lost it. I lost it all. And I lost it for three months till that darn gratitude again. I'm a firm believer in Christ and I love worship music, but I wasn't gonna listen to any of that music at all. I was done with God. You've got to be kidding me. We're not playing this anymore. I'm not playing. <laughs> you obviously hate me for some reason. <laughs> and then one day in my car, I couldn't stand myself anymore. And I flipped on my music app. And one of my favorite worship songs started to play. And tears just started streaming down my face. And I started to sing. Wow, I started to sing. And I got the chills so big in that moment. I was by myself and I started talking to God and I'm just like, I am so sorry. I was apologizing to him. He wasn't mad at me. He kept getting me through. And so that lasted for three months until that moment. And then I'm just still walking through life expecting the worst. And that's part of victimhood because I've been a victim a million times. Why not expect something worse to happen? It's going to keep coming at me. So for Mother's Day, this is a few months down the road, a couple months down the road. My children buy me an ancestry DNA kit for Mother's Day. I didn't think much of it. My relatives died because of their mental illness. They were bipolar. So that played a significant role. They were off medication, significant role. I wanted to find out where that mental illness came from. And that's all I was looking for. I wanted to see how far back it went. Well, I found my biological father that I had no idea existed. It was an instant love story. Instant. It's like I, I found this name in Ancestry on a Monday morning, and it was my uncle. Then he contacted my dad on a Wednesday. And within an hour, I had this man just like, looks like I'm your dad. And I had a conversation with him on the phone. He was incredible. He came to meet me three days later, and we just looked at each other and cried. I have an amazing father that raised me. And I thought my biological father was dead. I had no idea. And so it was like God, God just opened up the heavens and rained down all of this beauty from ashes. My life was ashes. And that's how I felt. It was too miraculous to not be God for me, that it was just rained down into my soul and it just washed me. Whatever filthy rags I felt like I had and that I was, and that all gets tied into the victimhood and the garbage that happens to you. I felt cleansed. My dad loves me to death. He can't stop hugging me. And I can't stop hugging him. And we look so much alike. I never saw anyone that I looked just like. You know, when you can recognize that, oh my gosh, I'm yours. I belong to you and you're mine and you belong to me. And it wasn't too late. He wasn't, he's 74 years old. I was almost 50. Well, I had just turned 49 when I met him. And it wasn't too late. That was when like things started happening big for me and God. Just like, okay, I'm going to trust you. And then you visited him in Montana. Me and my sister take a yearly sister trip. We both have different fathers that were raised by the same mother. And we're really close. So every summer we get together and take our kids on a yearly trip. My sister really wanted to meet my dad. And my dad asked if we could spend part of our vacation with him in Montana. 
And my sister agreed. So we did. We had an amazing few days there. My dad had just built a log cabin and um, he didn't have a ladder built in yet because it wasn't, he was just finishing up the fine details and stuff. So he had an extension ladder that went up to a lock that the boys had slept in up there. They thought it was super cool. They had been up and down that ladder and we were getting ready to leave in the morning. We had the car packed up and I had this niggling idea that I was going to go up into the loft because I'm sure the boys had left something behind. So I go up into the loft willy nilly, easy peasy. As I'm coming, I put my left foot down onto the ladder rung to come down and it felt a little odd. So I kind of shifted and then I put my right foot down on the rung and the ladder went down, splat, it, and it, it hit the ground. And I am midair. And in this second, I know I'm going to die. Uh, there was a voice immediately telling me inside of my heart to spin. So I spun midair and I landed opposite this ladder. My knee hit the ladder. I landed on my arms and my face. My dad and, and my 10-year-old son were outside, right outside the door, like working on something. My dad heard the ladder fall first. And then he heard a scream from me and he knew exactly what happened. He came running with my son. There's blood everywhere because it's a head injury. I bit through my lip. I fractured my cheekbones, my sinuses, my nose caved in. Yeah, I'm broken. My arms are broken. My knee is the size of a watermelon where it hit the ladder, but the rest of me did not. And I'm laying in this pool of blood by myself before anyone gets there. I, I, not, I was knocked out for just some seconds. And I'm laying there. And I'm like, I trusted you, God. <laughs> and I'm just like, really? I'm like, in my head, I'm saying this, really? really? This is how I'm going to die? I just found my dad and this is how I'm going to die. So it was faster for them to get me into a car than it would be for the ambulance, which was stupid of them to move me. <laughs> it was so stupid. So I ended up in the hospital. I didn't die. And I'm laying in my hospital room. I'm so drugged up. I can't talk. I can't. My eyes are swollen shut because they're both black and blue. Was waiting on God to say something to me. I'm like, what have you got to say? You know, just like in my head, just like, it's dark. And all of a sudden, from out of nowhere, I start humming a worship song. Because I remembered after my uncle died, <clears throat> I was feeling like a victim in that hospital bed too. <laughs> but in a way, I knew that I couldn't stay there. If I was going to get through this, I couldn't stay there. And I was broken as I've ever been broken in my life. Like, I've never been so physically broken. And in such agony, the only reason they kept me in the hospital was because they couldn't get my pain under control at all. And I, I have a pretty high pain tolerance. So I just started to hum a worship song and it's become my anthem in life. And I, I catch myself. I know the signs you need to watch for yourself. It's like a story that's repeated in your body, this feeling of forlornness, of emptiness, of depression, anxiety. I deserve to feel all those things if I want to. And I can live in that pity and misery. But what kind of life is that? And who am I showing up for? I have kids. I have a husband who adores me. I'm a beautiful family. I have a brand new father. <laughs> I need to come alive. And I was the person in the physical therapy, you know, room, kicking my own butt. I showed up. I showed up. And then I put the crown on my own damn head. And so I am currently living my dream. And my life's goal is to help other people do the same thing, to make it come alive for them, to shut the mouth of that inner critic, to shut the mouth of the inner victim, 
Because if you're a victim, you're going to play a victim and feel like a victim. There's no life in that. What are you going to do for others? And I feel like I only feel supremely powerful if I'm helping someone else. Like it's my power spot. Like listening to people, like really listening, fully concentrating on another human being. And also setting boundaries of people that give me the feeling like they could be, they could victimize me. Like maybe they could pit, hit that victim switch. They're not in my life. There's a firm boundary. I keep them at a distance. They haven't earned the right to be part of my kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because you're wearing the crown. <laughs> it's I'm your wearing kingdom. the crown. Yes, it's my kingdom. I, I'm like, I have the crown. <laughs> I physically have a crown and it feels good to wear it. It helps me remember that I am the queen of my own life. Yeah, I, I, we should all get a crown. Everybody. After- I, yes. Yes. If you listen to this episode, everybody go get yourself a crown and you have to put it on your own hand. And that's what struck me most about when I speak with you, you say you have to put it on your own head. No one's going to gift it to you. It's something you have to claim and then live out. And that piece of gratitude that keeps coming back, that kept coming back to you you know, after loss, after loss, and then having that fall. I mean, when we spoke, you said, what if I just worship my way through this? And you said you were sitting in a pool of blood and you were grateful. And how does that happen? Right. And, and you also made another point. You didn't say it in this interview, but before when we spoke, you said, I couldn't get up on my own. Someone like your dad and your son had to come and help you. Your sister was there. You could not get up on your own. And when we can't get up on our own, that doesn't make us a victim because to receive help gracefully from a place of appreciation, that's powerful. That's a, that is a, a victory in itself. And I love how that is coming full circle in your life that you couldn't get up on your own. And you want to help others. You want to be that person. When others feel like they can't get up on their own, you can say, here I am, take my hand. And that is beautiful. They don't get to play the victim. I'll call that out. (laughs) Right. You're going to be the person that they don't like. (laughs) When you say, how long have you been playing the victim? (laughs) I won't put it that way. I I will help you acknowledge the victim inside of you. We lead into that. I'll start with me. I was a victim. I played a victim. Right. It wasn't actually a player, an act. It was like driven deep into me that I was this victim. But there's one really cool part of this. And that was my son. When he came and he saw me face down in my own blood. And it's everywhere. Because it, it was gross. He ran and hid because he was so terrified. But my sister is an RN who was with us. And she was just a, a cabin over. And he sat there and he wrote this out for school because it was a school thing. How was your summer? Well, you know. <laughs> He went and hid, and then he realized that he had to go get his aunt for help, that I needed her. So he also didn't play the victim. He didn't stay mired down, afraid of the monsters, or that his mom was dead. He didn't know if I was dead or not. He went and got his aunt. He got up. He was just turned 10 years old. This is the day after his birthday. Today's his birthday, 2011. Tomorrow's the anniversary of this silly accident. But he went and got help. He mustered it up inside of him, and he went and got help. And that's what I did for me, too. But when got help, and I think it, we all in those places have to fight back that monster, whatever that is in our head, and go get help, whatever that looks like. I want to give people the opportunity if they're hearing your voice right now and they feel like you're 
their person. You're somebody that can help them get through their stuff. They, that they can grab your hand. Where can they find you to start following you and possibly working with you? They can find me on Instagram at Shelly Puller. They can find my Facebook group and that is Your Wild and Precious Life. I want you to know how life is wild. It has its ups and downs, but it's, it's so very, very precious. And that actually comes from a Mary Oliver poem, The Summer's Day. And you can look it up and it's such a beautiful poem, but it struck me. There's a phrase in it and it says, tell me, what will you do with your one wild and precious life? This is what I'm doing with mine. Our lives are so precious. And that goes back to the losses I've had in my life. Their lives were so precious. And that's what's so, that's what's missing. And it's okay to miss them. And that's not me being a victim. That's just, I miss you. I miss talking to you. And it's okay to grieve. Grieve is normal. And, you know, as a life coach, as life coaches, we are here to help you get clarity. We're here to help you find the, the courage and get rid of all the victimhood and all the negative inner critics and self-talks that you were, that you mentioned. Um, so that way you can identify how you're going to use this wild and precious life. It is precious. We're here for only a short time it, at this time of this recording. Next week, I'll turn 45. And it's like, what? I'm 45? This is oh, crazy. And you're um, so beautiful. No, nah, thank you. <laughs> and as you get older, you tend to look back and you're like, oh, okay, what does my life stand for? What did I achieve? Who did I help? Did I leave this place a little bit better than when I found it? And I feel like when we can live our life from that perspective, then we're truly living a life of victory because I believe victory is our birthright. We were created victorious. We were created worthy. We were created lovable. And it's all of those beautiful things, how we were perfectly made to do what we needed to do on this planet. And it doesn't mean that you can do it alone. God provides people and resources to assist you on your journey. And Shelly is just one person that can assist you on your journey. So if you are interested in working with Shelly or following her and just starting to see what she has to say about life. Obviously, she's, she is somebody that lives from a place of victory. And so I would encourage you to go to her Instagram page, um, Shelly Puller, and join the Facebook group. I'm sure the community there, it's not just a bit, it's a group. So it's, it's a community where you can find people who are on the same path and have the same approach to life. So that's the your wild and precious life with Shelly Puller on Facebook group. So thank you so much, Shelly, for being here. I'm so happy to be able to share your story with our listeners. Hopefully you, as you're listening to this, you're able to see yourself in the story to help you start recognizing maybe where you are playing the victim. Um, it's not an easy thing to look at ourselves, to hold ourselves up to a magnifying glass. But when we do that, even though it's hard, the payoff, the benefits are great because then you open up the space where you can be used to help others. And Shelly's story exemplifies that. And I hope you can see that. Here are the takeaways. Set boundaries. Make sure you're surrounding yourself with people who are not going to victimize you. 
Get out of your victim mindset so you can be available to help others. Gratitude is key in shifting perspectives. It's okay if you can't do life on your own. It takes strength to ask for help. Show up. You need to challenge yourself to get better. Claim your crown. You are the queen of your life. Thank you so much for joining us on the Small Victories podcast. And until we meet again, be blessed. Angel of light, come into me. Show me what I need to see. You are my pathway into the light. Lead me from shadows to Show me what I need to see.